Chapter 12. Weimar Crystallization. Transition of a period from recollection into history. Quoting Bruno Frank's Politician Novelle, 1928. Three quarters of your literature and your entire philosophy are expressions of discontent. In the course of the decade during which I have occupied myself with Weimar culture, an initially very quiet mistrust regarding research on the Weimar period developed that gradually has been transformed into a well-founded theoretical doubt. The more I read, the more uncertain I become about whether we are at all in a position to say anything sensible about the culture and the consciousness of those years from 1918 to 1933. The more research undertaken, the clearer the doubt becomes. The existence of a series of exceptional scientific analyses and accounts does not change this in any way. The doubt is related not to the possibility of giving a historically critical account of this or that aspect of the cultural life of this time, but to our ability to assume a sensible stance toward our continuity and discontinuity with Weimar. This could be understood as the expression of a disquiet stemming from the philosophy of history. There are two easily distinguishable points of access to Weimar, a nostalgic archaeological one and an apologetic political one. The first leads through the literature consisting of memoirs to the oral tradition of older people and finally to the projective curiosity of present-day marginal political groups. According to this perspective, there was a time in Germany when life was, quote-unquote, still interesting. When politics and culture proceeded dramatically, vitally, tumultuously, full of ups and downs, as if histrionics had been the common denominator of a whole spectacular... as if histrionics had been the common denominator of a whole gamut of social manifestations of life, from expressionism to Marlene Dietrichs's spectacular legs in the Blue Angel, from the bloody comedy about the Hitler Putsch in 1923 to the Three Penny Opera from the impressive Rathenau Burial in 1922 to the villainous staged arson against the Reichstag in 1933. The permanent crisis, spoken about by everyone, proved itself to be a good director who knew how to arrange eye-catching effects. In addition to the nostalgia of the, of the recollectors, we also observe a pronounced homesickness on the left for the Weimar Republic, where there was indeed a highly remarkable spectrum of political culture, from the leftist liberalism of Tucholsky, Ossietsky, Kessner, Heinrich, Mann, etc., to authors and sympathisers of social democracy and communism, up to the leftist radicals, anarchists and independent Marxists, such as Benjamin, Korsh, Brecht, and up to the early critical theory. The Weimar Republic became something like a playground for leftist historicism, an exercise field for retrospective allegiances and commitments, as if it were useful to know, at least after the event, to which side one would have beaten a path, because the connection to the ideals and potentials of Weimar culture was cut off by the Third Reich and the restoration of the Adenauer period 
the new left had to construct a quasi-archaeological access to the buried layers of German political culture. Archival work, skimming, reading, what came to light was impressive. An interrupted tradition had to, in a certain sense, exhume itself and discovered to its surprise that everything had already been there once before. Our entire intellectual identity under the rubble. The second point of access to Weimar chooses fascism, the rule of National Socialism as its perspective. Here the interest is almost completely apologetic and didactic. Why this or that party or person had to act this way, why Nazi fascism could not have been stopped or how it could have been hindered, why everything was as terrible as it was. Weimar appears in this light as pre-fascism, the period before Hitler. This how it was possible literature already comprises libraries in it weimar functions as an augury of political ethics what flourishes when a democratic middle is lacking when illiberal forces become too strong when the workers parties mutilate each other when monopoly capital does not know how to go on etc a line of authors knew quote unquote even then the truth but unfortunately did not gain influence Another line admittedly made, quote-unquote, errors back then, but today it knows the correct view. Weimar thus serves on all sides as a political moral history class from which everyone can learn. Democrats in East and West Germany compete against one another in the posture of those who have learned from the mistakes of the past. Because today the generation of eyewitnesses is ageing and dying out. Nothing stands in the way of a political... Pedagogification, political pedagogification of those years anymore, except perhaps the academicization. Doubts arise concerning both ways of proceeding. Could it not be the case that to date only a research in the mirror stage, quoting Lacan, has resulted from them, which lingers under the spell of naive relations of quote unquote interests to the quote unquote object? Projection, apologetics, overcoming, nostalgia, salvation. They are all positions and images in a historical gallery of mirrors. Quoting Faust 1. What you call the spirit of the times, that is the master's own spirit, in which the times mirror one another. Is then the object Weimar visible at all for us? Can we already try out ways of seeing other than merely nostalgic, projective, apologetic and didactic ones? I think the specific forms of consciousness of Weimar culture are beginning to become visible for us again through the prism of the cynicism of our time, which is now coming into its own. The clearer the modern cynical structure becomes for us, the more we gain the optics that belongs to the innermost core of the object. We then see the Weimar culture as the essential quote-unquote founding period of this cynical structure and its culturally dominating dimension. Back then, for the first time, strategic immoralisms seeped out of the previously hermetically sealed milieus into collective consciousness. 
in what previously was regarded as the trade secrets of real politic, of diplomacy, chiefs of staff, secret services, organised crime, prostitution, and the direction of enterprises, is now taken up by a blatant rage for the truth and placed irrevocably in the twilight of open secrets. As long as we do not explicitly grasp what cynicism is, the essence of Weimar culture must escape us. Our self-reflection, therefore, has precedence over historiography. As naive historiography, it has already come up against its limits. Only a more precise self-reflection again makes possible a more profound historical experience, if we then think it is necessary. Conversely, one must have absorbed in long studies the specific scent of Weimar and fascist cynicism in order to recognise that structures are at work in them that live on and connect us with our past. Historical objects do not simply exist. They emerge through the development of the eye. Here, Sloterdijk means the eye, the organ in your face, not the eye as in the ego. The reader's note. Historical objects do not simply exist, they emerge through the development of the eye. Another doubt about the usual accounts of Weimar is a pure reflex of the study of the sources. In reading the documents, the impression is awakened that many texts of that time were written on a far more elevated plane of reflection, insight and expression than the later cultural histories, quote-unquote, about them. The latter often profit only through distance and time, and their only way of being cleverer comes from the later perspective. That is, however, the insidiousness of the Weimar object. We cannot simply talk about this period as if its contemporaries had not already said enough about themselves. In its extraordinary achievements in articulation, Weimar culture, in spite of many counterexamples, stands before us as the most self-aware epoch of history. It was a highly reflective thoughtful, imaginative and expressive age that is thoroughly ploughed up by the most manifold self-observations and self-analyses. If we simply speak about it, we all too easily go right past it. Our commentary risks summarising things that exceed our understanding because the self-understanding in the text has often climbed to such heights that a later period cannot automatically assume that its powers of understanding could again reach the earlier peaks. This holds, of course, not only for the culture of these years, but especially for it. I think I can show how, in the various areas of Weimar culture, a summit of cynical structures had reached that only now, from the perspective of the disillusioned, cynical-cynical crisis consciousness zeitgeist of the late 70s and early 80s can be brought into view. The periods understand each other over a stretch of half a century on the basis of the reconstructed proximity of experience. As far as self-reflection disorders, clever irritabilities and pensive demoralizations are concerned, they have again become congenial to one another that is expressed positively, but describes a threatening phenomenon. Here we are working with a hypothesis that we think is right, but that we hope, like a self-destroying prophecy, 
will sublate itself, namely that such structures articulate typical features of interludes between wars, in which no intelligence and no goodwill suffice to stop catastrophic tendencies in the system. The method of presentation is associative and simultaneously construing. For it, extensive quotations are fundamental. I would like to communicate to the reader something of the perplexity that can be summoned through a pure reading, of course in a prepared context. The themes are relatively multifaceted. They are not pursued to the end anywhere. Every chapter has to remain a hint. Altogether, a methodically thought-out labyrinth results, as if we could gain knowledge of an epoch by going through texts from that time as through and between the mirrored walls of a carnival funhouse. Any other way would not succeed. I want to make an object more comprehensible by showing how, in its own inner many-sidedness and fracturedness, it exceeds our normal powers of understanding. What we need is a logical and historical cubism, a simultaneity in thinking and in seeing. In daily life, we are not deranged, translator's note, verucht, meaning also displaced. In daily life, we are not deranged enough to get a proper perspective on the derangement that has coagulated to normality of our everyday life and our history. One can thus read the quote-unquote Weimar symptom as a methodological adventure, as a journey through the madness from which we come.